When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome on in Eagles fans to the No Huddle Show, a special reaction hot take episode of the No Huddle Show we do every week. I'm Joe Gilly alongside Elliot Shore Parks, Matt Lombardo who covered the Eagles for NJ Advanced Media. The Philadelphia went out to Los Angeles, and I guess it was Los Angeles, Carson City. It was more like Philadelphia on Sunday, and won the game 26-24 over the Chargers. The Eagles now 3-1 and on the year. An impressive victory, even though that team is winless, and a pretty impressive victory. The Eagles uh, are off to a good start here. We got a lot of reacts from you guys on Twitter, at the No Huddle Show, and, of course, our email address as well. Uh, at the No Huddle Show, NJAvancemedia.com. Before we start this whole thing off, Elliot, you and I did a preview podcast on Friday. We both got this one right, picked mm-hmm. the Eagles, but you asked for some um, reviews on iTunes, and not only did they come in, they came in significantly. The people listened to you. Yeah, well, the people always listen to me. That's nothing new. But, <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I think we were at 81 or 82 or something like that, and said I wanted to get to 100, and now we're at 102. So thanks to everyone that did that. I really appreciate it. And my favorite one I got, actually, was from Braveheart Eagle, who said, great show, been listening for a while on on YouTube, but finally subscribed in, in uh, iTunes. So everyone should go do that. I appreciate everyone that's listening on YouTube. I appreciate the reviews. I appreciate the five-star reviews. Go subscribe and leave the review. So I appreciate everyone that took the, ch- the time to go and do that. Uh, I really enjoyed reading all of them, um, even the mean ones. So it was a good time. Well, it helps the show grow. Uh, no matter what, five-star reviews help the show grow. Leave them there on iTunes, uh, and we'll keep bringing the, these to you all week long. And, Matt, before we get to all our listener reaction, both on Twitter and in the email, just to start us off, uh, an impressive win for the Eagles and just, I think, probably a memorable day uh, for the Eagles fans that were out there, you covering the game, being out there. What was that atmosphere like when you first walked into the StubHub Center and started to realize this isn't a typical road game? Yeah, Joe, it was kind of wild because, you know, you talk about how impressive the win was for this team to go cross country after such an emotional high and and play a Chargers team that was really desperate and needing a victory. But I think the most impressive aspect of all of Sunday was that Philadelphia traveled west. That really was Lincoln Financial Field West. It was a really unique and kind of cool stadium, only seats 26,000 fans. It's an MLS stadium, the LA Galaxy play there. And Eagles fans took it over. We all know that Eagles fans travel well, and Doug Peterson talked about it last week, and players talked about how watching the Chiefs fans do the tomahawk chop, they couldn't wait to see what the Eagles fans would do. And Joe and Elliot, I I was amazed that during pregame introductions, when any position group from the Eagles went on the field, when the quarterbacks came out, the wide receivers, the defensive line, etc., 
it was this standing ovation, like the Eagles just scored a touchdown, and then the Chargers would run out and they'd get booed. And the Chargers got introduced pregame as a team. They got booed upon entrance into the stadium, and Eagles fans drew at least two false starts on the Chargers offense. And it really did feel like a de facto ninth home game. So impressive job by the Eagles getting it done. But I think even more impressive, Eagles fans really did take over that stadium. They did. It was an Eagles crowd. It was loud. It felt like every time a big play happened, even when the Chargers were on third and long, Elliot, you could hear mm-hmm. it. I mean, you just could hear the, um, the, the Eagles crowd getting revved up. It certainly played a role. And the Eagles showed up and, and played well for the fans in front of them. And that was we talked about last week, Elliot, how that was a good win. It was maybe a game they wouldn't have won last year. This probably fits that same bill. Not not just having a lead in the fourth quarter, but I saw you tweet about it after the game. They closed the game out. 644 held the football. I mean, for a team two weeks ago, which the head coach, Doug Peterson, said that he had to fix the run game. Um, he fixed it. it. It works now. I know the Chargers and Giants are not good run defenses this season, but that was impressive just the way to watch. They did put their foot down and said, we're not losing this game. The fact they closed that out, I, like <clears throat> for me at the end of games, um, sometimes it's hard to really watch. I mean, obviously I'm watching, but like because I'm getting my posts ready and everything, so I'm I'm well, I'm writing and I'm watching and I'm writing and watching, and then all of a sudden it's over, and then I look a little later and I'm like, oh my god, they held the ball for the final six minutes and forty four seconds, and that's I mean almost unbelievable to me. I mean, when the Chargers scored to pull it within twenty six twenty four, um, I didn't I thought the Eagles would win still. Because, honestly, their offense was doing such a good job recently. I mean, if you look at last week against the Giants and then this past Sunday against the Chargers, I mean, the, against the Chargers, their last uh, last three possessions against the Chargers were a field goal, a touchdown, and then the six-minute and 44-second drive where they could have scored if they needed to, but they didn't need to. And then against the uh, Giants last week, I think they scored on their last four possessions. So their offense has been really good late, which – Really, at last year, that was the issue. I mean, the you know the team had issues over, all, all over the field, but I thought their main issue last year really was the offense wasn't getting it done late. I mean, I think Carson at one point, I remember there being you know a narrative or, or a talking you know something we would talk about on the podcast late in the season about how Carson was continually coming up uh, small at the at the end of games, and then they did he drove him down the field against the Ravens, and I think that was kind of a turning point for this team because ever since that drive, they've been. They've been good in close games. I mean, I think, you know, this season, all their games have been pretty close. Um, and I know the Redskins one ended up being a 13-point 13 point, uh, 13 win, but that game was really close. And they've gotten the job done late. Um, it's been a combination of the running game, obviously, which has helped Carson. But I think Carson's been really sharp late, too. So I think, you know, as you look forward to the difference between this team and and why last year when they were 3-0, and things fell apart, but they might not this year at 3-1, and um, I think the biggest reason is that they're they have learned at the quarterback position how to win these how to win these games late. Yeah, two big things yeah, I too. Think, I, I ahead, think Matt. that they're they're a more talented team. They're a more talented team on offense at virtually every skill position. Carson Wentz is in his second season. Doug Peterson is in his second season. And guys, I I wrote about this Monday on the site. I talked about it on the podcast right after the game at StubHub Center. This was a game, and I know it sounds cliche, but this was a game that was a monumental step in the evolution of this team becoming a contender. You look back to last year, Joe, you said it best. This probably wasn't a game that they would have won 
run last year. They were only one and seven on the road last year. They were only one and seven in games decided by seven points or less. And this year you have Carson Wentz two and one in those circumstances. And I can't really outside of a bad decision in the fourth quarter against the Kansas City Chiefs hold that against him when you look at what the Chiefs are doing. But he's shown you in back to back weeks he can lead comeback and game winning drives in the fourth quarter. He can put the game on ice in the fourth quarter. And that's something that he really didn't do as a rookie. And that's something that this team struggled with. Think back to a year ago. The only road victory was week two against a hapless Chicago Bears team on Monday night in Carson Wentz's second start. So this game fits two categories. Number one, figuring out how to win on the road. And number two, winning close ball games. And I got to tell you, I have the story up on the site this morning. Those are two of the eight biggest surprises in the first quarter of the season, at least from my vantage point. The thing to me, though, is I don't actually think like when I look at this team through four games, I agree. I guess they are more talented, but I don't think they're winning these games because they're more talented. I mean, he really hasn't gotten much help from his receivers at all, really. I mean, I mean Tory Smith has been dropping the ball. Um, Alshon's been average. I agree that LeGarrette Blunt obviously last week had a huge game, but Ryan Matthews had some big games last year, too. So I really just think the difference between this team now and last year is Carson. Carson and Doug are just a year older, and they're a year more experienced, and I think you can see that late, late in games, um, yeah, especially late. Yeah, I, 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 I think there's something to that, Elliot, but the other thing is you say that Alshon has been average and he hasn't been getting much help from his receivers. Part yeah. of that's on Carson. He targeted Zach Ertz eight times. He targeted the wide receiver position group 13 times. So like we've talked about all year, this offense continues to funnel through the middle of the field through Zach Ertz. Six of those those, uh, excuse me, four of those targets went to Nelson Aguilar in the slot, six of them to Alshon Jeffrey. So you're talking about 12 targets of his passing attempts went to either the tight end or the slot receiver. So I, I don't know that I well, agree I think that that's he's not getting much help. Are... I think it's just what the offense is functioning at at this point. Well, I think, but I think the reason that Alshon and Torrey aren't getting targeted as much is because they're not getting open. I mean, I don't I don't think Alshon or Torrey have been running around the field wide open and, and Carson's been missing them. I'm not saying there hasn't been times that's happened, but when you look at what's made this offense move, it is Ertz and, and Nelson Aguilar. I think uh, he's only completed 30, uh, 17 of 34 attempts to Alshon. Um, Alshon hasn't really gone up and won any 50-50 balls. And really, the majority of Alshon's catches have been when teams are just giving him the underneath route and he's cut across the field. Um, so I, I oh, Yeah, because Carson, Carson feasts under underneath right and and i mean i think that what we're seeing this year is it's it's almost a carbon copy of last year's offense last year it was zach Ertz, leading receiver leading wide receiver quote unquote jordan matthews this year you have nelson aguilar with a team best 14.4 yards per catch and you have zach Ertz far and away as the leading receiver so i think it's just what this offense is and what carson wentz is most comfortable with and that's passing to the tight end and passing to the slot receiver it's just a different year I just think that, I mean, Ertz is the best receiving option on the offense. No doubt. So, Definitely. Yeah, so, I, so I think that does make sense. And I mean, honestly, Aguilar, I think, I mean, Aguilar, you know, obviously he struggles with drops, but he hasn't really this year. And I think we've all said in the past that, you know, if he can learn to catch the ball consistently, he's a very talented player. I mean, he's very quick. I think as opposed to Tory and Alshon, Nelson does actually do a good job getting open, um, which I think has been part of it. But I agree. I mean, look, I think back in training camp um, when we talked about uh, Alshon missing time and we, we debated whether it mattered or not, I think there's a reason that you see such chemistry between 
um, Wentz with Ertz and Aguilar as opposed to Torrey and Alshon. And that's just because they've played longer together. Um, so I think obviously that's part of it. But this is why tra- missing training camp mattered, in my opinion. And everyone tweets at me, OK, well, you know, give it time, give it time. Well, if, if Alshon and Wentz don't start connect to connect, you know, till week eight or nine, this, the Eagles don't have Alshon for four years. So this is a topic for another day. But um, I just think it's it's interesting to see what they'll end up doing, because I agree that part of the reason they're not connecting and the, the stats have been, in my opinion, disappointing for what people were expecting is because they haven't played together a while. But that's the risk of signing a one year deal. And um, I don't think many people before the season anticipated, you know, you know, slow start with Alshon and Torrey because they haven't been here. I think that this conversation will probably continue to evolve over the course of the season. I, I agree with both of you in different ways. Elliot, I'm with you in that there's something about Alshon does not look right to me. He almost looks older than he is. There's not, he's not spry. I don't see it. Just like, if well, you let told me ask you, this, Joe, let me ask you this show. Do you think he doesn't look, I mean, do you think this is just who he is and maybe people had unrealistic expectations? Maybe. Uh, I know the last couple of years he had hamstring injuries. I'm not saying he's hurt. Uh, maybe he just, maybe his game peaked three years ago. Uh, that happens once in a while, wide receivers. You see a good couple of years when they start their career and then they're not the same. I just, I don't look, I'm not looking at him and saying, wow, he's a number one wide receiver. He's, he's a guy defenses are scared of. But I think what Matt says also makes sense that the, the way the Eagles run their offense, where the plays go. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I think it's both part of this. I think the Tory thing is he's just dropping the ball. I, I, I see Tory yeah, Smith. Smith has gotten open. Tory mm-hmm. Smith has shown speed. He just hasn't been able to catch the football. And, and that's what happened last. That, that's that. That's what needs to come around in his game. Or then I think you have to start legitimately thinking about maybe making Shelton Gibson active one week and giving the kid a shot. If you're not going to, you know, get a, a reliable hands team out of Tory Smith. But in the big picture, guys, if if those tight end is your leading receiver and the slot receiver is the number two receiver and you're running the ball effectively. Does any of this really matter? Does it really matter that the outside wide receiver isn't your leading target or isn't the focal point of your offense? If this quarterback continues to funnel the passing game over the middle of the field, I don't think it's a negative that, that our, that Nelson Aguilar is in the midst of a career year or that Zach Ertz is proving himself to be an elite tight end in this league, which I think a lot of people questioned. I always believed that he was a top five tight end over the last two years. But I think that if this offense is built and this quarterback is comfortable throwing over the middle, then I don't think this becomes some sort of conversation about the outside wide receiver struggling, but more of this offense just functions best when the slot wide receiver and the tight end are the two focal points. Well, considering I, I that they're top 10 in basically every offensive category, yeah. obviously they can get away with this. And, and I think the coach and the way he calls up this offense uh, is a big part of that. But yeah, it's not like they need great production on the outside. If they got it, well, then we might well, be talking about something really good. I agree. I think, I think that's a good point, Matt. But the only counter I would make is, you know, they did go out and spend $15.5 million of their cap space when they didn't have a ton on outside receivers. So, and you know, the cornerback position, I think we would probably all agree has worked out a little better than we thought, but you know, going into the off season, there were a lot of needs on this team that needed to be dressed and they invested the majority of their cap space on receivers on the outside. Yeah, I, I just, I just don't see Alshon Jeffrey holding this team back or being a struggle. No. He's caught a touch. He's got touchdowns in two of the last three games. And there's something to be said for the amount of attention that opposing defenses place by putting their number one or number two cornerback on him and shading a safety to his side of the field. But, Cause but that opens not- up space for Aguilar and for Ertz. See, but I don't think that's, that's what's happening. I mean, when you, you look in the first three, I haven't 
done. I haven't charted last week's game, but I would say that, I mean, the Chargers don't really have a number one type cornerback the way the first uh, three teams did. But the, the, the teams in the first three weeks were perfectly comfortable having Alshon lined up against their number two cornerback. I mean, in the majority of the first three games, the majority of his snaps he spent on passing downs were not against the elite guys. So I, I disagree with this idea that Alshon is creating space for Ertz or creating space for Aguilar. I think that what what you said is actually you don't think you don't think you don't think the throwing lanes are wider over the middle this year than there were before the opportunities are there i don't well and if they are i don't think it's because of alshon i think it's just because of better game planning i just know that when i watch the games and you know i watch each one three or four times as do you i don't see an emphasis on stopping alshon I don't see other teams, you know, putting Josh Norman on him throughout the game, you know, putting a a safety over top throughout the whole game. I'm not saying there's certain plays where that doesn't happen, but I think your, your best point is that they like Carson's the best over the middle of the field. So I I don't, I don't think this is a case where teams are game planning to stop, you know, they're making their whole game plan around stopping Alshon. I don't think that's the case. I just think he is better. I I don't, I don't think that you need to have your entire game plan based around the guy to say that his presence and even, you know, you know, the, the space that it creates by the types of routes that he runs, drawing defenders with him. I don't think they need to be the elite cornerbacks that are going with him. They're just being taken away from that part of the field, regardless of who they are. I just, I just don't think that from watching these first four weeks, I don't think I don't get the vibe that defenses are as afraid of Alshon as people think they are. I'm not saying they, they shouldn't be. I'm not saying there aren't times where he runs a route and that does happen. I'm just saying that I think people thought that when Alshon came here, that, that he was going to have a major impact on this offense. And I don't, I don't see that, but I mean, we'll see. I mean, look, it's early. I mean, as much, you know, I, I love talking about things after every week and you, you did a mock draft already. I did a redraft. So I love doing that type of stuff. And in week eight, we might see differently. I'm just saying through the first four games, if Alshon continues at this production, I think we'll look back and say Alshon was a disappointment. I'll say he's been, he's a, he's been a help. He's been an upgrade clearly. I mean, I think almost anyone could have been, but he hasn't I mean, been has, as advertised. Has though, like, has he been a huge upgrade? I mean, what, what's he done through the first four games when you, where you guys said, wow, that's an Alshon catch? Well, not many of those. In the 50-50 balls, he hasn't gotten. I'd say the touchdowns. Right. He's, been, he's been good yeah, in the, the red touchdowns, zone. He's been, he's been, I mean, he's been wide open. But, I mean, yeah, what, well, the, other, the other thing is, the other thing is Elliot, this, was one of the, right, this was one of the worst red zone offenses a year ago. They go out and they bring in Alshon Jeffrey, and he has three touchdowns in the last two weeks. I mean, he, I, I just look at touchdowns. two touchdowns, two, yeah, two yeah. touchdowns over the last two weeks, rather. But I just look at... What he brings you from a, a a red zone standpoint, a veteran presence, and and the ability to take defenders, not necessarily the guys that are matched one-on-one with them, but he draws the cornerback with them on the type of routes that he runs, there's value there. And I think there is space being created underneath. And if Carson Wentz is connecting with Torrey Smith and Smith is catching the football, or if Wentz is more accurate in the Giant game on that 50-yard pass where... Alshon had beat his man by three steps and it was an easy touchdown. We're not, we're not, but we're not talking about poor production. There have been missed opportunities because Carson Wentz hasn't delivered. So I can't say that, that Alshon has been some sort of disappointment just because Wentz has missed him on a couple throws and because he's not being shadowed by the Josh Normans and the Marcus Peters of the world. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, mean, to lot of our, um, I want to get to a lot of our email reaction. So we get everyone uh, who emailed us and, and their thoughts on this hot take show, but uh, this, I think this conversation will continue, guys. I'm sure we're not done having this conversation. I feel like 
he's been uh, both of you are making a lot of sense on this. I, I think that it's almost like he hasn't been what some people expected. He hasn't been anything close to the impact or the the kind of guy I just you think, think he's, a, he's a good number two receiver. I don't think he's a number one. He might That's not just, be. I mean, he's yeah. certainly not in the level of like a Beckham or a Mike Evans or Julio Jones or Antonio Brown. I almost watch him more like he's having an impact of when guys like Anquan Bolden or Brandon Marshall. Well, and also look he, at his career. I mean, his best year was when he was a number two. And really, yeah. when you, you know, there was uh, and that even that year, I think it was Martellus Bennett that year was the tight end for the Bears. So I don't think it, it's not knocking Alshon to say he's he's not a number one. I just think he is who he is. And the reason it's an interesting debate and then we'll move on, I promise, is because they do have to resign him this offseason. Right. If he was under right. a three or four year deal, you know, depending on the price tag, it wouldn't be as much of a debate. But th- I think it's, you know. But here's here's the thing in this in this offense with this quarterback, they don't need their wide receiver to be the number one option. They don't need to have that elite number one wide receiver. And I don't know what difference it would make, because I think Carson Wentz is simply more comfortable throwing to the hash marks and targeting the tight end than he is throwing to the sideline to an outside receiver. Now, maybe that changes as he continues to evolve. But 20, 21 games into his career, he hasn't shown the ability to consistently hit. I'm talking not just consistently in the stretch of a game. But in the consistency of a stretch of week to week to week, hit on the deep ball and hit on the outside at a consistent basis. And until he starts doing that, I think the Eagles are content with Zach Ertz being the leading receiver and Nelson Aguilar producing at the level that he is in the slot. Well, let me ask you this, and then, then we will move on, I promise. But well, does, if, that, if that's your opinion, I think that makes a lot of sense. Does that impact how much you're willing to pay outside receivers? Next yeah, time? it would for me. Yeah, I think, I, I think so. I mean, I, I don't think that if... It all depends on what this team develops into over the final 12 games of the year. I mean, if Carson Wentz is using the full complement of weapons, then then absolutely. But I don't know that you put the premium on it if he's able to continue to exploit the middle of the field with Ertz and with Aguilar. And look, uh, I mean, on Sunday, 454 yards. A lot of that was on the ground, of course. They held the ball for basically 40 minutes, 26 first downs. They're second in the NFL in third down efficiency. And as you guys both alluded to, Ertz is really good. Everyone, everyone's been waiting for Ertz's breakout year. I mean, you kind of look at his career now in totality with this, you know, these four games on top of what he's done his first few years in the NFL. And we're looking at a guy that's off to one of the greatest starts any tight end ever has. I'm not saying he's Tony Gonzalez. I'm not saying he's Jason Witten. But, man, Zach Ertz is good. And that that does add to this offense. All right, let's get our first hot take email here. Uh, Zach Mano uh, sent us an email. He has two of them. I'll read the short hot take. Elliot, you'll like this. He even hashtagged the fire emoji in the body of the He knows how to do it. He knows how to do it. So Zach said, I think we are seeing the formation of a playoff caliber team with the franchise quarterback happen before our eyes. However, I believe we must not get too far ahead of ourselves. Still some major issues to be worked out. We could go through those, but just first glance, Elliot, you, and then we'll get to Matt. Is this different than last year and why? I mean, they were 3-0 and yeah. last year, moved to 3-1. and We know they ended up 7-9. and Why is this different if you do think it is? The reason I think it's different is because when I look back at their first three games they won last year, they really had everything go right for them in a lot of ways. I mean, if I remember correctly, Wentz didn't throw an interception until that game clinching one against the Lions. Um, yeah, I think they, the Aguilar and the, uh, yeah, they didn't even turn the game. They didn't, I don't even think they turned the ball over prior to that. I think it was the Matthews fumble and then the Wentz interception were their first two turnovers. But if you look at them this year, I think you can say that, you know, not everything has gone right. They've had drops from their receivers. The running game has been bad at points. Wentz hasn't, I mean, has thrown an interception, one of which was a pick six and the other one, you know, was, was huge as well. So I think they've, they've battled adversity. Whereas last year, when they were 3-0, and I think they just kind of were 
not, I don't want to say coasting, but everything seemed to be going right. I mean, they blew the Steelers out. They blew the Bears out. They blew the Browns out. And I think this year you've seen them really actually deal with more adversity. And what I think back to a lot was after that Steelers game, I remember writing, you know, this is a playoff team. This is a playoff team. And obviously that didn't end up happening. But I think what ended up happening was they weren't ready to deal with adversity. And we, we touched on this at the beginning of the podcast. But, I mean, last year they were one of the only team in the top five of time of possession not to make the playoffs. This year they're number one again. So I just think the way – the formula they had last year was a playoff-type formula. I just think that the team was too young. And now that they're a year older, they can deal with adversity. They don't have to everything go – they don't have to have everything go right. I think there's a better chance that – Come later in the season when you know they lose, you know they do lose a game or two in a row, or they're, or they're down in the fourth. I think this team seems much more capable of coming back from a spot like that than they were last year. Matt, why do you think they're different uh, than they were last year? I mean, the, I know you wrote about the eight surprises. We talked about Wentz a little bit, Peterson, which we'll get into. Um, there's a, there's a lot of things that are different. Some though, at ending the spot and the record, I think it's still there are a lot of fans that are playing a kind of a wait and see mode because of last season. Yeah, I, I go back to what I said at the top of the podcast, guys. I think it's a more talented football team. I think that they're much deeper up front on the defensive line when you bring in Tim Jernigan and you draft Elijah Qualls. And we haven't even spoken too much about Derek Barnett, but, you know, Derek Barnett played close to, you know, Vinnie Curry level snaps on Sunday against the Chargers. And you look at that they can roll seven, eight, nine deep without blinking an eye at defensive tackle and defensive end. And how about you Chris at, Long, Matt, making the strip sack early in yeah, the game? The strip sack from Chris Long recovered by Derek Barnett. So obviously they can rotate guys up front defensively. Offensively, I think you're starting to see the evolution of the offense with a ground and pound nature to it with LeGarrette Blunt and Wendell Smallwood and Corey Clement, not just surviving the absence of Darren Sproles, but really thriving without him there. And that's a that's a credit to Doug. But it all comes back to two things. Number one, I think the quarterback is continuing to develop and evolve, and, and it doesn't happen overnight. And I I think that he was wildly inconsistent in a lot of ways last year. And this year he seems to be playing with a lot more confidence. I think he's much more confident in his supporting cast and they're battle tested. Now they, they won a division game where they needed to drive down the field in the fourth quarter to tie it and then drive down again with, time running out in the final moments to put the Giants away with a 61-yard field goal. And then on Sunday, it really felt like that game could be slipping away in the fourth quarter that the Chargers had the door cracked back open for them late when they scored 14 points in the final frame and the Eagles held on the ball and put it, put it away. So I think the evolution of the quarterback, the talent level, and just the way that this team is battle-tested in tough games, it, it's really starting to translate into them having a swagger about them and I think they've positioned themselves rather nicely in an NFL that there really are no dominant teams, as you've pointed out in your power rankings today, Joe. There really are no dominant teams. There are no complete teams in the NFL. And the Eagles are playing their way into that upper echelon as we round out of the first quarter. Yeah, I'll throw in the road victories, which I think, you know, I, I always try to look at the math to get to the playoffs for every team in the NFL. Like, how do you, what do you have to do to actually get there? And last year, they went one and seven. One of you guys mentioned to start this show yep. on the road last year. They already have two wins. They were good at home last year. They were six and two at home last year, and that equaled out to just a seven and nine season. If they could be a six and two team at home again, which plays into what's coming up because they have a lot of home games coming up, and they get three or four wins on the road, well, that's there's your math. I mean, then you then you have your nine or ten wins, and we're talking about a year that could be really good. They already have two road wins, and 
last year that that was something that they really, really struggled. All right, let's get to uh, Anthony here. Anthony sent an email saying the D-line's been stout. We need to get to the quarterback more. But we got to stop allowing these fourth-quarter comebacks, 24 against the Giants, 14 against the Chargers. Um, Elliot, how worrisome is this? It's probably the biggest worry off of Sunday. The amount of mm-hmm. points they've given up in the fourth quarter – Giants, Chargers, I think, what, 52 of the 92 points they've given up this season uh, have come in the fourth quarter of games. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely concerning. Against the Giants, I think that you could make the excuse that, you know, um, Cox wasn't there, Hicks wasn't there, Darby wasn't there, McLeod wasn't there. I mean, they were missing a lot of guys. Against the Chargers, I mean, obviously they didn't have Fletcher Cox or Darby, but McLeod was back, Hicks was back. I thought the defensive line played pretty well. So I think it is a concern. Um I, you know, I'd be interested to see, I'll have to look at it closer, but I wonder if, if Jim Schwartz is just being out coached later in these games. I mean, teams make adjustments throughout the games. Um, early on, the Eagles defense is doing really well, which is normally a sign that they've game planned and their game plan's working. But, you know, maybe part of it is Schwartz is being out coached. Other teams are making adjustments and, and Schwartz isn't able to adjust back. I mean, the team is deep. On, on deep on the defensive line, obviously not a cornerback. Part of it is Rasul Douglas. Uh, you know, he really struggled against the Chargers. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it's obviously a concern because as much as, you know, I said that the offense was one of the reasons they didn't make the playoffs last year, the offense is doing their job this year. I mean, it's going to be tough to hold the ball for six minutes and 44 seconds at the end of every game. Yeah, I think that Sunday might have been a little bit of an outlier, guys. I mean, obviously, I think it's a concern when you give up 52 fourth quarter points on the season and you struggle with fourth quarter defense in back to back games. But the Alex Eckler 35 yard touchdown run, Nigel Braddon misses a tackle in the open field. He dashes right through the heart of the defense. And, you know, it was the Vinnie Curry unnecessary roughness penalty on the ensuing Chargers drive after Wendell Smallwood answered back that gave Phillip Rivers another opportunity to make a circus pass into the back of the end zone where, you know, Henry hauled it in and then toe dragged at the the end line there. Those are those are two mistakes and mistakes are going to happen. But I, I don't know necessarily that Jim Schwartz is getting out coached late in games, but those were two really costly mistakes. And I think that it also comes down to the Eagles are leading in those games and teams are throwing. And what happens when you throw against a secondary that features Jalen Mills, who I thought has played relatively well, but like Elliot said, Rasul Douglas, who struggled, neither of which are top flight corners. You're going to give up some big plays, especially when you have Odell Beckham Jr. and Sterling Shepard, or when you have Keenan Allen and Tyrell Williams, both really elite speedster types on the outside, you're going to give up some big plays. And I think that the Eagles secondary at this juncture just isn't equipped to play lockdown defense when they're getting hit with a barrage of passing plays, as has been the case over the last two weeks. Yeah, they're it'll, not. It'll and- be interesting to see if that changes when Darby comes back and maybe even Sidney Jones. I mean, if they if they can get better play out of their cornerbacks, and I think um, I agree, Jalen Mills hasn't been a top flight guy. I do think he's he's played well overall. I think Patrick Robinson has been good, but the Eagles have one of the best front sevens in the league, and I think their safeties have been good. So if they can get better play out of their cornerback position, I do think you'll start yeah. to see the, this. The one the one problem is that I don't think that they're generating consistent enough pressure with the front seven. They, they get timely sacks, but then they go through stretches where it seems like they're not giving the quarterback any pressure and he has plenty of time, and that's where these the secondary starts to get picked apart. So let's, let's see them generate a more consistent pass rush and like you said, Elliot, get Ronald Darby back out there and maybe Sidney Jones. 
Mitchell sent us a hot take email. Eventually, when this team is at full strength, kind of leading us to this conversation you guys just started there uh, with Sidney Jones, Ronald Darby, Fletcher Cox, who I think would make a big difference. Uh, what you were saying, Matt, with the consistent pressure when he's in there, how good could it be? It's funny. You know, I think we all before the season when we did our preview podcast either picked them to the playoffs or picked them right on the edge of the playoffs and then talked about what their ceiling would be around 10 wins or so. Uh, I don't know what the win total is going to be this year, but they're three and one, Elliot. And the, the funny part about this is you could see them getting better as the year goes mm-hmm. on. Uh, the offense is missing big plays. Uh, they're, they're playing well. They're top 10 basically in every metric right now, yet they can make some bigger plays down the field. They're missing those. And defensively, they're just missing people and giving up big plays. If they make bigger plays on offense and they stop bigger plays on defense, I mean, what's what's the ceiling here? Well, first, I mean, to kind of get to his question on Darby and Jones, um, I don't I don't think Darby is as close to coming back as everyone else seems to. I mean, Doug was asked about it a few weeks. I think it was a week and a half ago now at this point. And he said Darby was still in that four to six, six week time frame. But I saw Darby less than two weeks ago and he was still rolling around on his wheel about. Now, I don't know if he's, you know, walking at other points of the day, but it's tough for me to believe that he's going to go from, you know, not being able to put pressure on his ankle a week and a half ago to playing, you know, in two, in a week or two, which is what kind of the timeline timeline of that four to six thing is. So for me, I think that the target for Jones and Darby should be week 11 because for Darby, that gives him two months to recover from his ankle injury. Um, the week 11 game against the Cowboys is coming off the bye, which works out nicely for him. And for Sidney Jones, I mean, he's technically able, eligible to start practicing in week seven. So, you know, after the Eagles play the, the uh, Cardinals, he that Monday, he is technically able to come off the NFI list. The Eagles would have to cut somebody, but he can, he can go on the uh, – or no, sorry, they would have to cut him. He can start to practice for three weeks. Um, and I think, you know, based you know, his tw- that tweet he sent out with the number seven, I don't know if he's hinting at that. But I think the return for both of those guys – Week 11 is the, 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 the game people should have in mind. I think anything before that would be a bonus, and I think anything after that, then you start to get a little bit concerned. But I think week 11 is a sweet spot. And if they come back, I think, you know, it, if they play at the level they're capable of, yeah, it's a, it's a help. But I would caution people in just saying that these are going to be two guys coming off of bad injuries. Darby didn't have a good year last year. Jones has never played in the NFL. So I think they can have an impact, but it might take a little bit. And that would lead in if they come back around that time, Elliot, the time you said week 11, that would lead into the I mean, the stretch run of the season, seven games to go four on the road, two against the Cowboys, which may decide the NFC East. Uh, That would be week 11 at Cowboys in prime time. If they both Mm -hmm. came back for that game, that would be quite the uh, quite the spectacle. I would. And, you know, leading into that, you have four out of five at home where you think maybe they could get by and maybe, you know, win some of these games even without those guys. Matt, as you look forward here off the question about their ceiling and about how high this thing could really go, um, there is room for improvement, yet they've won three games. I think that's what has fans really excited right now. As of now, they're the favorite to win the NFC East, and they, they deserve to be in the driver's seat based on the way they've played. And you look around the rest of the NFL, you look at the round at the rest of the division, there's outside of maybe the Kansas City Chiefs, who are the last undefeated team standing, there really aren't any complete teams. There are no teams that are completely dominant. There are no teams that have it all put together. And I think that the Eagles' schedule, after going 3-1 and one with 
three of your first four games on the road and, and playing the Chiefs tough for maybe three, three and a half quarters, that, that's a huge feather in your cap. And the fact that you already have two division game in hand, the fact that you've already won a conference, two conference games with your two NFC East opponents, everything is starting to kind of break your way. And the quarterback is, is playing with more confidence every week. The running game seems to be becoming a focal point. I mean, we've barely even touched on it, but LeGarrette Blunt you know, rushed for over 129 yards and, you know, broke the game open on that 68-yard run that led to the Wendell Smallwood touchdown the other day. I, I just think the ceiling has to be raised for this team. The expectation now has to be if you don't make the playoffs, if you don't have a home playoff game, you almost have to consider this season a disappointment based on how they're playing right now and the way the rest of the league is, is looking. Guys, I've said it before on this podcast. I think the division gets decided by those two games against the Cowboys. And even looking at a bigger picture here, that Christmas night game against the Raiders looks completely different mm -hmm. with Derek Carr's injury. You look at Josh Norman potentially being out for the rematch against the Redskins, and the Redskins went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Chiefs last night at Arrowhead just like the Eagles did. Everything's starting to kind of snowball and go their way. If they split these next two games against Arizona and Carolina and walk out of their first six games at 4-2, and two, I think that that puts you in the driver's seat to win this division. I agree, Matt. Uh, last year, I didn't think when they were 3-0, and finished 7-9, and I didn't call last season a disappointment. I didn't think they had the horses. But the way you just described that, I mean, look, in their next five games, they have three West teams. I know, I think Denver's in the mountain um, time zone, but you know what I mean. Three yep. West teams coming East for one o'clock home games. Uh, it's a lot of this is set up for them to, to have a big season. They also get the Bears at home later in the season. Everything you mentioned there. Um, all right, a couple things. We'll get to a couple more reactions before we wrap this up. We could talk about the run game, which everyone was so excited about that blunt run, Elliot. And also, mm -hmm. for the first time, I'm looking through our uh, Twitter reactions here at the No Huddle Show on Twitter, and we got a lot of Doug Peterson praise. The fake end around was time. beautiful. It is about time. Doug's. Best I was late to the Doug wagon too, but I think now you you gotta you gotta you can't hate on him anymore. It's like no, hop, hop on. I'm I'm inviting yeah. everyone on this Doug bandwagon. He's doing a good job. They're a well coached team right now. He said he had to fix the running game a couple weeks ago. So far, it looks like he has. And you know, I look at it. I know Sean McVay. What he's done in, with the Rams has been amazing. Sean McDermott has done a nice job with the Bills, but. Through four weeks, if you're making a list uh, of coach of the year candidates, Doug Peterson has to be on it. I mean, if you don't want to put him number one, that's your prerogative. But he's, he's got to be on it because he's done a good job. This offense works, Elliot. Doug Peterson's offense works. Yeah, I mean, they're top, as you've said, they're top 10 in a ton of different categories. And I just think, you know, I talk, after the Washington game, we're on this podcast, I said Doug's going to cost the team a game this year. And that could still happen. But I think when you look at the larger picture now of him coaching 20 games, I think he's dealt with a lot, and he's got this team in a really good spot. I mean, I know I predict. I thought initially when I did my game by game prediction that they would start one and three. So the fact that they're three and one, you know, I mean, clearly I think they're ahead of the curve of where I thought they would be. I did pick them to win the division, but now that now that they're three and one with with some easy games coming up or easier games, it'll be really interesting to see how they handle those. But I mean, look, if this team wins 10, 11 games. Yeah, I think Doug does have to be in the conversation. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he does win those 10, 11 games and make the playoffs, how this town starts to kind of view him. It will be. Matt, it's interesting to look back at last year, the coaches that were hired the same time as Doug. Um, you know, I looked back the other day after the game and he got 
nationally just ripped. I think it was for the win. Basically said he was the worst coaching hire of all those guys that were hired. Chip Kelly's already been fired. Um, other guys that had better years than him last year, like Ben McAdoo, not off to a good start this year. Uh, Adam Gase, not off to a good start this year. As time goes along, I think people should start looking at Doug a little bit differently than they did a year ago. Yeah, I look at, you know, Sean McVay and what he's doing out there with the Rams as one of the great coaching jobs we've seen in a long time. How many people wrote Jared Goff off as a bust? And here he is playing like a top 15 quarterback in his second season. So a marvelous turnaround out there in a a division that's very winnable for the Rams. But yeah, you guys are right. Doug is right there with McVay, in my opinion. And I think that if this continues and, and we talk all about his development of Carson Wentz, and that's obviously priority one, but priority two is he's got this team buying in. I mean, you think back to the stories I was writing in Chip Kelly's final year where offensive linemen didn't want to play hurt when they could play hurt for Chip Kelly. We heard all about players not wanting to interact with Chip Kelly or vice versa and the standoffish nature and the divisiveness of this entire building. Doug has been completely on the opposite end of that spectrum. These players love playing for him to a man. They believe in him and they're starting to play like it. They're starting to play like they believe him. And and I don't even want to you know give him credit for being a rah-rah, win one for the Gipper type of coach because he's been very malleable with his play calling when you think of where they were in Kansas City, dropping Carson Wentz back to pass 56 times to where they are rushing for 393 yards over the last two games. He's figured out a way to get balance in the offense. He's been putting together his game plans opponent dictated, meaning that he's exploiting the defenses rather than just lining up the same scheme and the same set of plays as Chip Kelly did. And I think that, you know, he's got this team believing in itself and he's got this team playing at a high level both in close games and on the road so i don't have a negative thing to say about doug peterson this week that's for sure it's right, amazing joe, joe let's go let's do a rapid fire through the heat i want to make sure we get to all of them i feel like sometimes we don't always get to all of them so let's, our rapid one, fire yeah rapid Ready fire through the heat. only the hot only the hottest takes though all right uh mf <laughs> MFG dog that run by blunt. Oh my goodness. That's a grown ass man. Hashtag the no huddle show. Um, Valera tweeted in and said, no turnovers. Blunt is a tank. A lot of these have been blunt, um, yeah. blunt related. And, and I, I'm sure they came in right around the time that that run uh, happened. One guy tweeted and actually tagged LeGarrette Blunt, who a couple weeks ago, remember, said he didn't care about people's fantasy football teams. Well, this week, um, he certainly helped people's fantasy football teams. If actually he was in your lineup, let's end with blunt because I just think that was a story when they signed him. We didn't really know what it was. In the preseason, he didn't look very good. You guys talked about it and what you were noticing every day of practice. Second game of the year, he didn't do anything, literally. And then after the game, it was like, well, what's going on? Is he even a part of this thing? And now he obviously is after his game, after that run. Elliot, how how have your thoughts on Blunt evolved and and what he's going to be now for this team the rest of the season? Yeah, so I I think I was I didn't think Blunt had what he did last Sunday in him. I didn't think you know even if you gave him thirty carries that he would be able to top get the kind of yards he did. Um, and that run he had that sixty eight yard run, I mean that's it was. I mean it sounds stupid to say, but it was incredible, incredibly impressive. I mean the fact that he kept his balance at one point, his hand hits the ground, he still gets up for a guy his size who want to do that is amazing. Um, and the thing is though with Blunt, I don't think I mean the. People have said, you know, in his last two games, um, well, give him the ball more, give him the ball more. But I think 
Doug's hit a sweet spot with uh, with Blunt where you don't want him to carry the ball 25 times a game just because he's having success. I think if you kept giving him the ball more, I don't think that's going to change. And I think um, just really quick to what what Matt had said, I, I think I, I agree that you know, they've found more balance in the offense, but I think that has more to do with the fact that they're playing teams that are bad against the run than it does so much Doug's, Doug's like philosophy against running the ball. I, I think the Eagles want to run the ball. I just think against the Chiefs, the, there was no, there was no room to run there really. So yeah, two, two things there. I mean, we talked about last week or leading up to it. And I wrote about it in all of the matchup pieces that, and Lane Johnson talked about it in the four down story that the key to neutralizing an elite pass rush, which Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram are, and they were irrelevant on Sunday is running the ball. And I think it takes guts to run the ball into the teeth of a pass rush. And they did it effectively. And, and let's go back to the day after uh, when the Darren Sproles tore his ACL and broke his arm on the same play. Joe, I think you asked us both, what's this running game going to look like without Darren Sproles? And I said, it's going to be that backfield by committee that we all envisioned it being, that it was going to be LeGarrette Blunt with 15 to 18, that it was going to be Wendell Smallwood with 12 to 18 touches, and it was going to be Corey Clement somewhere between five and 10 carries a game. And on Sunday, that's exactly what you got. And I think, Elliot, you're right. You found the sweet spot with 15 to 16 carries for Blunt. He averaged eight and a half yards per carry 136 smallwood got 10 carries for 34 yards and clement got 10 carries for 30 yards so i think that doug has figured out a way to utilize the backfield by committee approach we expect them to have all along but without darren sproles this committee approach seems to be able to mask the loss of their most dynamic back Mm -hmm. it works the offense works and every time i watch doug as it's evolved over 20 games the more i watch him the from the aggressiveness to the way he deploys players to the way he tries to exploit the weakness of the opponent now they could be one thing one week you said it a few minutes ago i'm at malleable uh, something a different week he a lot a lot of ways is the coach chip kelly was supposed to be and chip kelly wasn't that his offense stopped working after a year and he couldn't fix Great it point Doug seems to get better as the years have gone on here as 20 games have evolved. we got a lot of season left. You guys will be at home Sunday. Eagles, Cardinals, 1 o'clock. Uh, I'll be listening for the preview podcast later in the week. Elliot, as always, thanks for doing this. And, of course, uh, everyone out there, thanks for leaving us those ratings. Elliot, how much do you think we can get to? 120, 130, 150? I, I, I'm, I'm, I would like to be at, like, 115 by Friday. 115 feels like a fair ask. So if you're listening, go ahead, leave the five stars, and just, you know, tell me why I'm right about everything we just talked about. Huh. do that thanks for, uh, <laughs> thanks for listening leave those reviews matt as always thanks for doing this can't wait till the next one and thank you for uh leaving your hot takes both on twitter and the email we'll do it again next week everyone have a great one uh right here nj.com <laughs>